joined by my co-host Emily. Hello. <laughs> That's the first time that I've said in many weeks joined by and not joined with. I did it. Everyone lost a bet. I win. Stop I am not a scientist win. I am not joined with Emily. Though not I mean, since the surgery cool. anyway. Exactly. Um, thank you so much everyone for joining us. Uh, our music to come in this week is a little band called iFarm, which maybe a lot of you've never heard of. But um, I've known about them for actually a really long time because at one point they were a local band in my uh... exactly 5000 people out in the world at any given time always liked our band. It was never any fewer, which was great, gratifying, but it was never any more like usually yep. I think when you sell records or whatever, you expect to see some growth or some diminishing. But for us, it was always exactly the same. It was always exactly 5000 of anything we produced, we would sell. So you set the precedent for the Facebook friendship limit. That is I mean, exactly you, correct. You all were the prototype for that, it, managing that yeah. 5,000. I mean, it's complicated because our name was complicated, but yeah, it used to be one iFarm would be 5,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's it's a unit of universal measurement. Impact. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so that, that was, that was iFarm, and the voice you're hearing, the new voice on the podcast this week, is a gentleman um, and a, a friend who will become a friend of this show. I uh, uh, will very briefly introduce and then i'll allow him to speak for a moment um a friend of mine i, I can kind of say that. basis to becoming friends with the show you're under consideration for the moment i i assume that i was it's, it's looking good but you know don't show. push it so okay. official friend of the show ladies and gentlemen arun chathri of uh many fames um, you may know him from such places as the Bandai Farm, as I mentioned. You may know him from such places as uh, NYU Film Circles. You may know him from the uh, new media team from the Barack Obama presidential campaign. Uh, you might know him from slumming around the White House as first videographer of the USA. Oh, or maybe a couple old. of you know him as the digital creative director of Bernie 2016. Even that was four um, years ago. Oh, my God. Ladies, that was four years ago. Oh, we my are God. So four whole old. years ago. We are all I very old. It. Ladies and gentlemen, this is this is a run. We've got him on the show. I've worked so hard to get he and Emily uh, scheduled because so they are both – Oh, so it's our <laughs> it's our great pleasure. Uh, Y'all have both been busy. I mean, we've all been busy, but I've been kind of trying to get this show set up because uh, I want to talk to y'all about your unique perspectives within this movement. And it's also um, time zones because I think Emily was in Nevada at the same time as I was in Italy, and with yeah. you in the middle, it was definitely yep. right. Not yes, easy to Steve. coordinate. Yep, yep. That was that was me in New York trying to reach and just. Everything. I mean, first first order of business, I guess, for fans of the show here is Emily um, has a little announcement to make about her professional life, which has contributed to her very, very busy schedule, which has contributed to our uh, struggle to get together for podcasts. Emily, would you like to just take it away and and share with our listenership uh, the recent news for you? <laughs> sure. Uh, yes, the recent development is that I was brought all, uh, on board with uh, the advanced team for Bernie 2020. So I am currently touring the country, helping to throw those incredible events uh, that are being so well attended. 
So it's it's been a, a very enlightening and uh, stressful and packed and exciting, uh, God, 10 days? I don't even remember how long I've, I've been on now, but uh, it's all blurring together. But yeah, it's it's been a, a wild ride for sure and definitely so has complicated awesome. my ability to do yes. the, 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 the normal things that I like to do with my life, like come on here and yes. talk to Steven and other lovely people. Exactly. And I'm thankful that now that you've carved out a, a sense of uh, normalcy again in life, that you are back on the show. Normalcy. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. As, well, I, you, there was, you I was lucked doing out because, uh, oh, I see. You're doing air quotes over there. Yeah. Well, you lucked out because um, <laughs> this, this event is probably one of the more quiet ones that I've done so far. And um, they're, they're warning the noobs not to get used to this because uh, it's, uh, it's usually pretty hairy, but um yeah, it's uh, where we're, I'm in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, right now. I can cool. literally hear the ocean from my hotel room. Sorry, I didn't mean to make that and, noise. Um, Rotaries everywhere is important. Everywhere is good. It's just it's a yep. certain. It's, it's a just certain it's part a smaller area. It's not Las Vegas, shall we say? Um, no, just, but it's not totally dissimilar. That was why I made that noise. Like Myrtle Beach, that whole area is just has a little bit of that kind of just like. You know, it has the most picturesque, crazy, sexy vibe, like, feeling to it. Energy it's, to it. It's really quite. Mm -hmm. I've never been in South Carolina before, and this has. A, I don't know. I feel like it's a setting for a movie or something because there's these. You know, there's there's like a Ferris wheel right outside my hotel, and there's big some, like, strip rides energy. and stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah it, yeah, it feels yeah, yeah. very. Uh, the vibe is very. There's a lot of kind exciting. of going on. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's right on the water, and there's a boardwalk and. I don't know. It just it feels like it's at the set for a movie or a novel, maybe a murder mystery or something like that. I don't know. We're gonna lose her to the it. carnival. I've <laughs> already run on. away to join the circus. There was a precedent <laughs> staffer missing. That was the next joke, definitely. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, you you've got one circus already to manage. Wow. So Ron, if you don't mind, um, would you catch us up on, well, of course, I, I guess maybe we should briefly describe your political career. You um, work with a company called Revolution Messaging, right? I mean, uh, you guys kind of do a lot of... Uh, currently, I am in, uh, in a, with a group call, uh, called Committee. And when I say group, it's actually just me and one other, one other person. We spun off of Revolution Messaging, which has spun down. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Interesting. Last fall. And it's the same mission in that we're a political communications company, which means, you know, we take and help develop messages and make them into narratives and then decide what content should be made from those narratives and then make that content. Cool. Awesome. Okay. So yeah, the same kind of, uh, same, well, not the same kind exactly, but, um, a new venture. That's very cool. That's led you some, to some very interesting and diverse regions lately. I know, uh, I mm. mean, I've been following your work for a handful of years and across that few years uh, or so you've been all over the globe working with different coalitions, different campaigns, um, two different, you know, sorts of ends and results. Uh, would you mind briefly describing the international? No, not work at all. That you've no, done? thank you for the opportunity to. It, it, like committee is committed. Committee is committed. This is already working. It's <laughs> nice um, to a global perspective on movement politics, and that is just that these things don't happen in isolation. And in fact, when you look at like the right wing kind of movement across the globe, it doesn't really originate in the US as much as it originates in Europe and comes across the oceans to us. And uh, so a lot of what I've been doing with committee has been working in places like Italy, working in places like the UK, working in places like Germany, 
that are much closer to kind of the front lines of the reverse 1848 phenomenon we're living through with this kind of rise of nativism. And actually, uh, another place that I've been lucky enough to work, and I I will say actually successfully, we um, just had an election in Emilia-Romagna, Italy, where uh, Salvini, who is the the, the far right kind of potential strongman there, was really kind of served a a punch in the nose um, by bringing out a lot of marginal voters and making it happen. It might sound familiar. That's exactly the same kind of coalition that's making Bernie happen. Um, but actually, uh, another place we're working in that is very interesting is Kosovo, where Vet Vendoja, which uh, is the Albanian word for self-determination, the Vet Vendoja party has actually uh, formed a government. And there you see progressive politics mixed with a little bit of kind of national liberation language. And the kind of result of that does seem to be like popular movements that bring people who normally would be attracted to center and far right politics to the left because they were always interested in the kind of uh, economic aspects of it and are now actually being turned on to more of the social justice justice aspects of it. So uh, I think there's lessons there, not just for Europe, but for the United States of who and how to reach out to. And I guess the answer to that is everyone. Yeah. Hmm. Now, so as far as what you've observed um, globally with this sort of uh, like right populism or this potential new left populism uh, going from Brexit and through more recent European examples that you might be able to cite, um, where do you see the, the populist trend going in Europe and Back to your comment about Europe kind of being a little bit ahead of cer- or certain areas of Europe, you know, showing us things that we will later um, maybe realize or, or we'll see happen here in the States a little bit later. Would you mind speaking to that phenomenon briefly? Because I'm very interested in how yeah, you Yeah, I mean, I think there's out. no way that Trump wins without the kind of headwinds of Brexit igniting people's imagination about what's possible. You know, and actually, I actually think even if you're talking about it in terms of like weather patterns, I think you can make a good analogy. I think what's happening is this: there's two different kind of storm fronts of uh, of the far right. One, let's say, is blowing in from the east, kind of old fashioned father and son. I use that gender advisedly, like passed down, traditional, organized, you know, potluck mm-hmm. dinners, this kind of thing. The other one comes in from places like California. You know, it's like Milo, it's, you know, are we fascist? We're not sure. It's Pepe the Frog. It's like, we're just having fun. It's yeah. all a joke. Maybe we're not totally joking. Maybe immigrants are bad. Like it all, yeah. it's all very tongue in cheek. Uh, and those two on their own are very manageable, you know, like, but when they come together, they can really cause some really heady concoctions. And that's what you see across the center of Europe. You see these two yeah. storm fronts come together and the kind of weather patterns be bizarre. You know, you have Denmark, where a left-wing government is like cracking down on immigration. You have the opposite happening in Sweden, which is right next door and is basically the same place. And and then in Italy, uh, which is why Italy is so important, you have Salvini, who is like a perfect combination of both these two forces put together in one person. He's kind of half angry Nixonian dad, comes home after work, you know, has a couple drinks, yells at the kids and goes to bed. And he's also like guy in a bathing suit who has a good time. Like, right. you know, at a bar in Sicily. <laughs> so, sure. so that's why some of these folks are so dangerous is that they just, they're combinations of these things. And that's what's sort of not happening in America as much, 
the the connection between those two movements is not happening as part of the Trump coalition, which is sort of a more traditional Nixonian coalition plus some sort of angry folks. I will say, paradoxically, perhaps, one of the thing that one of the things that's protect what's protected the U.S. from kind of accelerating down the right wing nativist thing as quickly as some other countries is the fact that we have such a low voter turnout because yeah. in other countries right. they have this much higher voter turnout and so there is this bigger persuadable chunk of folks that you can yeah. talk to. Do you uh, think that that's partially responsible for the fact of, of us being behind on these trends as well? Is it turnout so low that it's like more yeah. of a delay period we there are between super advanced and you know we have employ I think some of the best political techniques uh, in the world because we spend so much money on our elections. And because we do so much time, spend so much time on them, but it's definitely distorted by the fact that every digital program, every field program, every, every program seemingly is aimed at turning out likely democratic voters because it's how you win these primaries. And it's just not a way to bring new people into the process in a really effective way, or in fact at all. And so we're constantly sort of leaving people out in the cold who need a little more persuasion to come in. I yeah. think I can't tell you I'm not in, you know, in the room with him, but I think Brad Pascal from the Trump campaign, I think what he's spending that $30 million Facebook a month or whatever ungodly sum they're spending on is making new voters out of non-voters for Trump. Right. You know, I think they're pretty right. aware that they've let down some of their electorate in terms of the things that they've done, you know, trade deals hadn't really stopped the wars, etc. But I think they can also bank on the fact that the greatest untapped resource in America is just more voters. This yeah. is sort of the genius of Karl Rove. And in fact, maybe even the genius of Barack Obama is to just go find new voters when you need to make new voters. Right. Uh, and I would because... say Obama 08, not, not Obama 012, which was kind of the first yeah. kind of expression of what a pure turnout election would look like. And I think when you look at the fracture lines maybe this is going too far on a tangent and come back later but when you look at the fracture lines of what went wrong in hillary 2016 i think you can see a lot of those problems in uh obama 2012 and for folks like us who are really interested in bernie sanders uh becoming the next president i think we can also learn lessons from what didn't work in 2012 and 2016 Mm -hmm. and that we're sort of susceptible to, especially people like me who were on the campaign in 2016 is to run things like a reelect when the person's not even the position, you know, <laughs> that's sort mm-hmm. of uh, yeah. like often when you run things like that, you just end up relying on the personality to take you over the top. And that works when it works and it doesn't work when it doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, that's, well, that's very interesting to see, uh, to, to, to hear, uh, the most striking thing for me there is the phenomenon of creating new voters is definitely very profound and, and very pertinent to, I think Trump's, uh, as you mentioned, he's definitely, he's disenfranchised a hunk of his electorate just on the same sheer goofiness that has endeared a very large, significant portion of his electorate and possibly galvanized them. He has definitely turned off some folks, but I think he is doing really well to continue to create new voters as the early Obama mm-hmm. uh, campaign did, which, as we all know, a vote is a vote, and you can either waste weeks, months, years trying to 
uh, you know, persuade the politically interested and the politically sophisticated voters, um, or you can, you know, speak a, a simple common language. And I think we're almost seeing that. In and I'm going to uh, jump with, in with there. The, I'm just being nitpicky about please, it. Please, please, please. Like, I would not call people politically sophisticated versus not politically sophisticated. Some of the most politically sophisticated people I know do not vote. Okay. Okay. It's bullshit because why would they bother? Blah, 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 blah. And it's hard right. to argue with them sometimes. Uh, and actually, a lot of people who do vote are just, it's like sports to them. They're all, like, I say this lovingly as an independent voter. For sure. Like, we're on a team. We're Democrats. Our symbol's the donkey. Mm-hmm. We wear these hats at the convention. Like, everybody Blue. wants you to be on some team. And, like, if you don't yeah. want to be on that team, uh, that doesn't work. But if you do want to be on that team, then it's not like you're, like, a sophisticated voter. You're just you're just part of the team. Well, it's yeah. identity. I, mean, I think I, I yeah, use that term. People who aren't part of the team to want to vote for the person, even if they don't want to join the team. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's totally right. I didn't I didn't even mean that the way I said it. I think I was I was gearing toward the term non-sophisticate to describe the opposite. No, no, no. I, yeah, I, I, I don't think any, for it. any prejudice on your part, but I think it sure. demonstrates that we're always looking in the wrong places. We're like, oh, we need to hit low information people with simple things so that maybe they'll vote because if they know it's good for them, they'll vote. And actually, the folks who aren't voting are smarter than the people who you're already getting to vote. And you're going to have to sure. make a better argument to make them come out. Uh, yeah. And that's very, very rarely done. Especially uh, for the independents, um, as opposed to just people who aren't particularly politically aligned one way or the other, maybe because they're disenfranchised totally. or disillusioned with the system. But I got a lot of independents, actually, when I was out canvassing in Iowa, who were very aware, like you're saying, you know, um, followed politics, uh, but remained, you know, uncommitted or just said they weren't going to vote. Um, because they had, you know, essentially assessed the whole situation and said, you know, this isn't worth my time. Um, which it's it's interesting talking to those people. Like I come from a background that's um, a little bit different than a lot of people in the the Democratic Party. Hmm. Um, I was raised uh, nominally conservative, um, but kind of like what you're saying, it's just it's just a team thing. It's kind of like, well, we root for the Cubs and we vote Republican, and it's about as far as it goes. Um, not really uh, particularly uh, invested. Uh, in any particular policies per se, it's just it becomes a right, not just part of just one piece of the the tapestry of your identity, kind of in the background. Um, but you know, I I never voted Democrat until Bernie Sanders, and um, I still I don't know that I would. You know, I, I, I tend to think of myself a little bit more as an independent, although I would vote for you know many Democrats over the alternative, of course. Um, but so I had to, you know, it was interesting talking to those people because I was able to kind of say, look, I, I get where you're coming from. Um, the, the, you know, your right to be disillusioned uh, with the system as it stands. Um, and the reason I'm out here, the reason I drove here from Texas to do this, to knock on your door in the cold, um, is because we are looking at a situation that is historically unprecedented. And I promise you, it is worth your time to look into this um, and to yeah. think about being totally. involved in what's happening here. Totally. Isn't that if the best when somebody that. answers their door and they're like, oh, man, I'm making eggs. Can you hang out? And you're like, sure, no problem. I've uh, driven eight hours. Uh, go ahead. Just just please go ahead. You know, and, uh, I, yeah. mean, I love people and I understand the inconvenience of having your door knock. But yeah, it, yeah that is a good. Uh, I will say I prefer canvassing in the in the warmer months when someone's not peering at me around their door, which they'd very much like to close so they can be warm again. Because like, it's hard having a conversation with someone in those circumstances. But totally. Speaking of, um, let's round this thing back to Bernie 2020. 
Um, we've got uh, a 2016 staffer who was, you know, on the road watching all the cool shit unfold. And now we've got a 2020 staffer. It was like a passing of the torch symbolically here between you guys uh, on the road <laughs> with dad. Um, and you're both great, amazing people. And run, you just had a little like a uh, little high school reunion, get the band back together kind of thing. Cause you yeah, just did yeah, the event in around, Texas. Ran around a rally. Your right? pictures yeah, were <laughs> sick. There's something about the Iran touch with the, with the camera. I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, not to I just take be a dirty photographs here. is what it is. And so as, as cameras get cleaner and cleaner and crisper and crisper, I take grainier and flarier stuff. And so it just, just to, even just to nice. make it stand out. I know damn old punk rocker. All your listeners should know this is a good Instagram strategy generally. <laughs> it's true awesome. now that you well, mention it. Everyone, you can bill all of our listeners because that is very <laughs> invaluable uh, advice for sure. And I remember you you spoke to this when you when I brought you up in, I don't know, like 2017, March of 2017 mm-hmm. for our Binghamton conference where uh, – the now very, very, very rock star, famous Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez Facebook posted about your uh, specific. And we've part. still never met. It's really a shame. Yeah. I hate the fact that y'all haven't met because that's so crazy. Because I actually introed you that morning, hungover as fuck. Because I had just met all these Nipan people and like <laughs> all the young people were like, hey, we've only seen each other on Zoom. Let's like drink, drink scotch until we're, you know, until it's four in the morning. And I was like, great idea, everybody. I'm the sole point person for tomorrow. I've got to meet the janitor at Binghamton <laughs> High School at six in the morning to get the keys. Like what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> anyway, long story, very, very much shorter. Um, that was a cool time and, and that was neat. But I remember during that talk, you spoke about the, the value of grittiness and the sort of um, just corniness of the very high quality, very flat, very non-dynamic iPhone sort of photos and the fact that y'all would overexpose stuff intentionally to add a little grit and a little grain. And, and you know, that was cool. And I think that really showed and, and represented uh, a lot of the aesthetic of the campaign in 2016, which was, as we all saw in a lot of the articles, um, some of which were largely about yourself and your involvement around that it was the punk rock campaign. It was a campaign of artists um, it was a campaign of, you know, more artistically inclined people who there were was a lot of DIY, both aesthetic and ethos. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, yeah. you know, can you speak both, to that? That was both a great thing about 2016 and also, you know, in the end can be, can be limiting as you're trying to scale up and do things in a national way. Sure. And, and could you give an example of that? Cause that's got my interest peaked. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, like there were times where, where I was even able to like go and speak individually to large groups of, of video volunteers and be like, this is what we should all do and kind of walk people halfway down and then let them like their own creativity go wild. And that, but that kind of like half message discipline from the campaign and half creative grassroots thing that was like so magic and worked so well in certain times and places mm. yeah, isn't something that you can make magically happen in Arkansas and Kentucky and South Dakota on the same day. You know, like, right. you know, although right. it is something you can do in Iowa, in New Hampshire, in California and in New York, you know, yep. each of those pairs for different reasons. Uh, yep. And so uh, and so that's one. But I think. In general. This was a less of a Dave and Goliath situation, which was the kind of, you know, song that we were playing right. last time and is much more like a kind of, you know, <laughs> like melee free for all that you do want to just sort of have that like iron organization discipline 
we're big, we're bad, we can do things attitude. Yeah. More an insurgent army this time around. Yeah. You know, like we happen to, yeah, like it's just can't, no one can afford not to look super professional at all times, especially when it comes to road aesthetics and the stuff that Emily's doing because the press Ooh, yeah. are there and they're filming it and they will talk about it. They yep, would love to absolutely. talk about it. Mm-hmm. We have people filming the people filming the filming and it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very tightly run ship. Um, hey, let me ask you a question, Emily. Sure. Are there trackers at this point in the campaign still? Are the other campaigns bothering or because the press is with everyone, are they not? Like, are there people you recognize from other campaigns who are like filming your campaign consistently, your events? Oh, you know, I mean, I, I probably can't speak to that both because I'm too new uh, to the scene um, to have been able to, you know, start to pick out the same faces those and, and faces. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also just probably the, the capacity that I'm working in at the moment. Um, that might be something um, the, the, the crowd or the press people might uh, be better at uh, totally noticing. Yeah. 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 At the moment I'm on, um, I, th- I think I'm allowed to say I'm on motorcade. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of wild. I, the funny lit. thing is I went from being a rideshare driver in Austin, Texas. Oh yeah. To motorcade for Bernie Sanders. Which You're going to write a book. Very funny. It's, it, there's it's a, there's amazing. a sense of irony here, uh, especially the other yeah. day when I had to run and grab a uh, food, uh, for certain VIPs. And uh, it's like, Oh, I was doing Uber eats two months ago and about the same now. It's just for different people. <laughs> you know, right. but, different perspective, different um, stakes. Yeah, no, yeah. Motorcades, wild. All the crazy things happen in motorcades. People have no idea. A little bit. Yep. <laughs> I've followed a couple wild tales from the road through my friend here so far. I mean, that just simple logistical facts become can become absolute terror. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, you I know? think the pressure once you're – because everything is scheduled so tightly, you know, the – down to the minute, you know, we're just squeezing every little uh, usable minute out of the day. So, you know, you can't screw things up, you know, a wrong turn or you know, running into traffic you didn't adequately prepare for or spot coming, all that kind of a thing. Yep. Th- these add up. And well, now um, run just, that up against a four person team who probably has $50,000 of audio video equipment on them and are yep. trying to like load it and unload it safely out of like vans. Oh, yeah. Like just so that urgency runs up against it. And it's just funny when those two things collide. So like oh, yeah. we've been in motorcades where like the, the vans were leaving and like our equipment's literally falling out the back and we're holding it. From no. the outside, you know? Invariably while you're doing this, someone from behind calls and they're like, Hey, you know that the, the door is open and you're like, yes, we are yeah, we're in there. I feel the anxiety. I'm in there. We are I can feel the wind. Thank you for calling. We appreciate that. Thank you. And also I will say once in um, 2008 uh, with Obama and I cannot remember the town, but, and this is, a, uh, we had a motorcade very tightly packed, have to back up all of a sudden. Uh, and we weren't totally paying attention as much and rolled over a duffel bag full of cameras. Oh. And the oh sound God. that like a duffel bag of cameras makes when being crushed is a very Haunts specific your dreams. kind of electronics <laughs> with a little bit of glass. Yeah, no. it's a very, metal it's a very interesting noise. Oh, God. Just pulverized three cameras. It was an intense moment. There was probably oh more God. cameras lost in that incident than i will ever own of in value i, I can't even imagine I can't even imagine high quality shit 
not just the you know the material waste but just you know that that big interruption while while the the team tries to replace that equipment you know in the time that they're losing we, uh, yeah yeah it's stressing yeah. me we out just thinking about event, it though, we were back okay flash question what is both of y'all's of all time favorite bernie sanders meme of any kind oh god you're gonna put me on the spot like emily that. there's so many good ones double on the spot unless Aron wants to jump in with his i mean i I'm can buy you to time narrow it down to very recent oh you want to buy me time go for it uh, I really liked, and it's not just one meme, it's like a group of them, but I really liked um, Perfect. Uh, the Burned in DC, which was, you know, like they would take like punk rock sayings and just, or lyrics and just attribute them. To oh, Burn yes, it. yes. And I thought this was really good. And then there was just recently I a crossover those. meme between the I am asking you for and the kind of punk rock ethos. And oh, so there there was, the yes. two things combined to make one beautiful meme. That's the Bernie asking for things, but he's wearing the suicidal tendencies hat and he's asking for just a Pepsi. Just, just once, just <laughs> once. Yeah. And that is my favorite Bernie meme. That is outstanding. That's great. I saw the uh, man. I really saw the I'm now asking get crazy with it with the uh, music aesthetic. There was a Bernie with like stretched ears and like uh, good oh, Charlotte, one, yeah. like eye, eye tattoos. Um, <laughs> the one I saw that was really funny. Uh, it's kind of, kind of like maybe not the most appropriate, but it was, um, it was, oh God, now I can't remember. You know what? If I can't remember the the tagline and it's inappropriate, I'm not going to say it cause it's not going to be funny. It's just <laughs> going to be totally whack. So forget it. But that was an incredible line of memeage. And that's the great thing about any meme, but of course, Bernie memes is the way they like transmutate and, and you can get somewhere totally crazy, uh, from, you know, Ah, uh, yes, the, the layers beginning. of the increasingly Dadaist uh, meme. So <laughs> what about you, Emily? You've had, you've had a minute oh, to think I don't on know. it. Yeah, we yeah that never helps. I mean, <laughs> the first thing that popped into my head was the, the endless permutations of the asking you for financial support meme, but that, that not y'all brought that up. So um, <sighs> I'm trying to think because like this this goes back years now the 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 dank meme stash you know becoming I also really enjoy the Bernie cat crossover with the little a salami little a salami mm -hmm. yes little yes, and you have to say little a salami nobody says it it's anymore it's not a little salami it's little a salami it's little a salami that was, was so important to me and then like 80% of the memes I didn't know. have it and i was like you got to hook it like if you don't hook it uh, and it hooks out there you're you're, you're losing me. But I know. yes, little of salami. I'm, I'm Thank y'all for being like, proper on that. The, the problem with me is if you ask me my favorite thing of any given category, I'm not going to give you the cool answer. I'm uh, always going to come too. up with something really lame that I just like for some weird nostalgic reason of my own. And this is why I don't like these questions. But like now that I'm see the, 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 the sort of the month when I kind of really got into Bernie. And I think that was like the month that the dank meme stash kind of started to hit like uh, some notoriety. And I just remember laughing my ass off at, um, you remember that, that really dumb thing that was popular for like five minutes, the, the damn Daniel. Uh, well, of of Vine, I think it was Daniel. Well, I still give him oh, a God. damn Daniel. Yeah. There. Well, somebody took that picture of Bernie getting arrested in which he is literally wearing white shoes and they just wrote damn Bernie, oh, you know, backheaded again with the white bands. And I, I lost, I don't know why it was just, that's I was already good. kind of in a good mood that month because uh, 
I don't know. I was just really getting into all of it and it was kind of lifting my mood and and just the camaraderie that was developing on the internet. And you know, it it all just came together and it just, it made me laugh so hard every time I saw that thing. It wasn't even that funny, but. (laughs) So here's a question for a run. What's your of all time favorite. You didn't have to be on it. You don't even have to be alive for it. What's your favorite, but you can't say something like the French Revolution. What's your favorite political campaign? Always say the French Revolution. <laughs> well, I mean, the French Revolution was the first kind of political <laughs> like, campaign to run by political operatives, but I can well, actually, uh, well, actually, uh, and say, oh man, I'm actually uh, the first person, and I can't remember the name of it. I can't, I can't remember if it's Harrison or Cleveland, or I think it's one of them. But the first front porch campaign, I think it's 1880. I shouldn't, mm. I, I don't I mean, I'm on a computer. Mm. I should probably just look this up uh, so I don't embarrass myself. Feel free to. Yeah, no, that's fine. We encourage, campaign. we encourage. But like people think about it when you talk about it, like it's some kind of lazy thing, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, one guy ran around and the other person, um, first front porch campaign, the other person like ran around energetically but that's not true. That's not what it was. It was that um, it was McKinley and Harding. Now there was one before that, but the, during the first one, the idea was that one person was making a stump speech all over the country. That was the same. And wanted as many people to hear it as possible. Yeah. The other was the front porch campaign. And the idea was that you would, every day have something new to say and just gather people who transmit the news to you so that you could come out and keep unrolling new policies about new things constantly. Hmm. And I think that tension sort of still exists uh, and not to like start a huge thing that we can't solve here now, but I do think it's some of the tension between media and field. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I do think when you think about it from the way that I just said it, it makes the media part sound less obviously distasteful which sort of the popular fetish for kind of door knocking has like has rendered yeah but like i I say cynically sometimes if knocking on doors was so great coca-cola would sell soda that way well but you know i do think that there is something to be said for the resurgence of some of these traditional methods of campaigning if only because of the sort of the this this wave we're seeing of people becoming you know more and more turning off mainstream media and this growing sense of it being dishonest of it being bought you know as people are beginning to have their their consciousness uh, raised a little bit more about you know no for yeah, who's sure. paying for all uh, of this stuff and, and I'm you know, not getting rid what, of one what are they getting the out other? of it and, yeah yeah no no I like I think I'm as, as an activism together. I think a, a diversity of tactics is always what's going to win the day and yeah. and there is you know there's a time and right and a place now the bell has just the bell has just swung the other direction where you're like, you know, people tell you their voter contact for Iowa, for instance. And you're like, well, if even remotely those people who you voter contacted all voted for Bernie, then he would have won by a zillion points instead of, you know, uh, just by a handful. Uh, And so like sometimes, I don't know, it's like, it's so valuable because it's points you can't get any other way exactly as you say. But I feel like every, I don't know, decade in politics, like the bell swings the other way. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, all mass media. And then everyone's like, oh, all field. And can't we all just eat a healthy diet? That's right? the thing, that right? It's the so balance good. that's going to be the, uh, 
Yeah, because you're right. There are there are uh, purposes for both that neither is going to serve. You know, at the same time, I'm hearing from people here on the ground. You know, when we even just from the staff at these uh, venues, when we're coordinating with them, we're hearing that these people are just so sick and tired of the ads that the we've just hit a point of saturation where most people are just like pleading to, you know, see anything oh, yeah, else. Yeah, on yeah, TV yeah. No, and I think ads. using. Let's be totally clear. I think like television ads are totally a huge waste of money and possibly the least effective way to get your message, the you know, most expensive and least effective way to get your message out through mass media. And that, you know, we have to rely on all these other things, whether it's getting your own material yet, on the news. which I can think of no other reason for Mike Bloomberg to have shot upwards from three months ago. Yeah, no, but it's not just television. With the highest it's negatives. And it's not it's like uh, his numbers went up because digital. of, you know, his uh, no, totally. advertising personality work. or, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, Again, it can be hard to, now. If, you, if you touch someone seven times, they'll buy the can of Coke. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, and, and he is, and, that, and he's also, he's very skillfully inserting his television presence. I have friends from all over the country texting me about what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. I live in Texas, y'all. It is nonstop. Not remember oh, right there. from everybody, but from Bloomberg, like super crazy. Yeah. It's, I'm hearing the same everywhere. Everyone's really sick and tired of seeing Mike Bloomberg. Yeah, you I, both I feel live like in Texas. I have to be careful what what I say about people, but since Bernie's going pretty hard after Mike Bloomberg, I think I don't I don't think I've crossed any lines yet. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. How how fine. far do you guys live from each other? Because uh, Emily, you live, I live what, in Austin. Austin. In I live Austin. in Houston, so we're you know a couple hours. Yeah, nice. cool. Not too far. Awesome. Um, at this time, I think we're going to bring Lily on. Uh, we have Lily here to join us. So, uh, Lily, are you there? Hey, guys. Hey, Lily. Hey, Lily. Uh, How's it going? It's good. Great. Good to have How you on. Thanks for, thanks for uh, being our first returning guest. Of course. For five-episode show. Not too bad. You're, de- you're a definite friend of the show. I say that with no apprehension. Uh, and now we know we have two friends of the show because Arun has said he's a friend of the show as well. Emily, we are just making friends here. No, but I mean, certificates I'm, I'm and badges no should be arriving in the mail within six to eight business um, I need my liberal participation trophy. Facebook mm, will also right. be awarding top fan badges to everyone who's on. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Look out for those. So thanks for joining us. Uh, Lily, you're on the call uh, with Arun. Arun uh, Chatri's on the call with us, everyone. Anyone who's. Uh, tuning into the last part of this and didn't hear our beginning introduction. Uh, Lily, would you mind quickly giving us a, uh, an intro on yourself, where you're at, where you're coming to us from, uh, what you're doing there, and sort of your history to bring you into the Bernie movement, if you could? Yeah, so um, I'm currently in the Bay Area. I go to school out here, but I'm originally from Oklahoma, which was where I got into the Bernie movement back in 2015. I couldn't vote then. I wasn't old enough. Um, so I've just been a volunteer since then, canvassing, phone calls, text banking, went to Iowa, met Emily, had a great time there, was precinct so, captain. So but jealous. Yeah, now I'm back here in Berkeley, SF Bay Area, canvassing every weekend. Tight. That's awesome. Yeah, a I've hero. been following your stuff, uh, your stories online and stuff. Very cool. Uh, that rally you were at kind of looked like it was like half indoor, outdoor. I don't know if there was cover over, but it was like a lot oh, of sunlight. Yeah, the Richmond rally. So it was in this place called the Craneway Pavilion. I mean, it's like Florida ceiling, like glass, but there were wow. 
six or seven thousand people inside and a whole nother three or four thousand outside watching this happen wow that's really cool so as you know a run was on the road with the campaign taking pictures and video making videos and stuff in 2016 emily's out there now um lily i know you had a i think a question or two for a run uh if you okay if you don't mind and a run doesn't mind entertaining that uh take it away lily if you would yeah um so i just want to say uh steve showed me some of your music and i think it's awesome so <laughs> thank you actually what got me um into politics when i was in oklahoma <laughs> and i kind of had like i think we all with like our favorite band yeah, are you in tulsa um yeah i was in tulsa tulsa's got a good punk scene yeah we do it's pretty awesome yeah um i got involved in that I, my sister took me to my first concert when I was 11 or 12 and I kind of had like a moment where I was like oh my gosh I love this I love the energy and this music and this scene and I kind of had a similar moment like that when I got politically active and I was wondering if you had a specific moment that got you involved with politics and specifically politics with your music. You know, in between kind of really being focused on like DIY punk rock and then being focused on like uh, the political kind of media stuff, I was, you know, in film school and worried a lot about like the film festival scene and like indie film world and the kind of politics of all of it. And actually, I think it's a it's the politics are so wrought, it's even more political than politics. So there was something that felt like really familiar and amazing and that same kind of energy you're talking about um coming into politics for the obama campaign 2008 and just making everything myself and if i didn't have a graphic i would just figure it out and if i didn't have a thing i would just figure it out and it kind of had this scrappy awesome diy uh both aesthetic and execution to it that like i really liked and i feel like we took that to the next level in 2016 on bernie by actually empowering this is what we're talking about before y'all uh like empowering other people to make their own stuff and it just really did feel like diy punk challenging each other to make better things ourselves uh and yeah, you know, obviously the Bernie movement is so much about Bernie and his policies and, and the 40 years of kind of incorruptibility he's bringing to the table. But the look and feel of the movement has very little to do with him. I mean, we know that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it has to do with the kind of collision of all of this energy and all these different people who are coming together to support him. And I think that's what's the most exciting about the kind of aesthetic of the Bernie thing. And I agree with you that there are more than faint echoes of punk rock in it. And I think if we all were in a room together and raised our hands, there'd be a lot more of us than people think. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. Yeah. I I agree. This, I mean, at the rally in Richmond, they had bands playing and the people next to me were all like metal heads and punk rockers. And, you know, they were wearing like the, black flag mixed with bernie shirts and like the, yep. and the machine ones it's great shirt. like this energy is the same energy that i felt the first time i went to a concert the first time i crowd surfed or was in a mosh pit it's it's intense mm. but a good intense and that picture last week of kim gordon from sonic youth wearing the black flag bernie t-shirt mm-hmm. is too by good. far one of the most iconic things in 2020 i have seen I, yeah that's totally yeah. it was amazing might that, be up there with the photo of pussy riot with bernie 
Oh my god, totally. I'm seeing yeah, them next anybody. month here. <laughs> I'm going just because I can wear my Bernie shirt to their concert. Nice. To what concert? Pussy, Pussy Riot's coming to Berkeley. Oh, oh wow, cool. Oh, I would totally go. That sounds great. It's badass. Amazing. I may have, it de- kind of depends on what happens, but I may have scored tickets for Rage Against the Machine. As well as run the jewels, who are opening for them uh, later oh this my year. Uh huh. I saw them at Woodstock '99. Absolutely, totally changed my life. I was a big fan of theirs growing up in like the budding internet age when I didn't really know what was going on. As Emily and I have discussed, I had like Zapatista quotes in my senior quote graduation, but really you were that didn't dude. know what I just knew. I was rebelling against something, and and <laughs> you know went on the budding website, but saw them in '99. That was amazing, and then I saw them at Rock the Bells in '07, co-headlining with Wu Tang Clan at. Uh, randall's island or whatever i think i saw them in randall's island in 1996 or 1995 oh wow that was probably Uh, they were at the small stage of lollapalooza that year i think it was the third or fourth year such a great band i'm old Uh, that's that's awesome (laughs) or run back to what you were saying about just kind of the aesthetic of of uh bernie especially you know in Mm. 2016 and continuing now like I mean, that's so right on the money because you, you, you know, the difference between even just superficially going from a Bernie rally to a rally for another candidate is you saw so many more, you know, just this explosion of creative, organic, homemade, um, just creativity and evidence at Bernie rallies with all of the homemade signs and just people mm-hmm. coming up with all this wild stuff. And then, you know, some of the other candidates, you'd see more kind of mass produced signs uh, a very slick, yeah. cohesive, consistent, branded kind of feel. And yeah, you don't see murals yeah. spontaneously popping up in cities uh, for these other candidates the way you do for Bernie. And especially now, now that I'm like traveling the country and seeing rallies taking place around the country, even ones that I'm helping to throw, you know, um, just again, like mm-hmm. the, the individual kind of local flavor that they take on from locale to locale. Um, one thing people have begun doing is, you know, creating letters, um, you know, spelling out Bernie, but they're doing it in a very, in a way that is specific to uh, the place. Like, um, the LA ones kind of got famous. They were very iconic with the palm trees in them. But, um, my, my crew in Austin, the Texans for Bernie, uh, people, um, they just got done making some and they've got, and they worked really hard coming up with things that each letter stood for. So they've got the blue bonnets, which are very Texas, uh, in the B. (laughs) Um, if I recall, I think, uh, they, they, I think they went with like NASA or something for the end, but you know, it's, it's all very Texas themed. Um, That's awesome. it's, yeah. So, so just seeing like different versions <laughs> of things that, you know, are very indicative of, uh, the particular, the, the, the place and the culture and, and, you know, as you go from place to place, it's yeah, just, I think it's, why it's, it's so, so obvious for... the difference. Yeah. 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 And the campaign is able to put things out that are like sort of containers to catch those things, you know? Yeah. So like they can have sort of these broad kind of what you think of as being slightly boring, even logos and design constraints, but it actually makes a really excellent container to hold all of this different just cornucopia. Of- yeah, it sort of serves as like a template or springboard, but then it gets customized um, yeah. and you wind up with something that's this like unique kind of synthesis of the, 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 the consistent Bernie, you know, logo or branding, but then with a, a unique twist on it. It's, and this it's, is it's like really exactly cool this. and this is exactly what um 
a runs vide videography class kind of thing that he did for the Bernie campaign in 2016 was I went to mm. the Ithaca, New York stop, the filmmakers workshop or someone, whatever it was called. And I, I had absolutely no experience. I like had had a Mac for a couple of years and wanted to kind of mess around and make something other than just videos of my cats. And then I went to this thing and, and, you know, he was, he gave a talk on how we could use campaign resources. Like we could go ahead mm. and help ourselves to this these clips important. of video yeah. and, you know, and, and, uh, we, we yeah. could, we could use the logo in, in circumstances, whatever it was, and gave us tips on how to you know keep it local. Well, we actually had a whole Vimeo channel that we would just keep so people could download things easier. Yeah, exactly. Oh, nice. it, and and they, there was this idea of replating content, you know, and you had you had these hunks of of we were using Iran used this sushi and sashimi, I think, example of, mm -hmm. you know, here, here are the hunks of meat. You you arrange them as you please or add a local plain. flavor. Yeah. Make people make make local people care about it. Here's how you do that. Here are some artistic tips. Right. Here are some technical tips. Here are some logistical tips. Now go forth and make film. And it was and the, like the point is to get good stuff. The point is not that you're getting free or cheap stuff, because to get that, we actually had an extra person on the road who would just edit every single thing Bernie said would cut every single event into like five or six chunks based on topics and just yeah. put it in this Vimeo. Right. So like if so you were into draw from disability rights, you could just look up disability and get like seven clips of Bernie talking about it at length. So you can make your video. Great. Super valuable for, for See, I wish this, I wish I'd known movie. this all existed. Here I am ripping stuff from YouTube and chopping it up myself when I'm trying to make stuff. I didn't oh my God, like an stuff. animal. <laughs> yeah. I still engage in those animalistic practices from, uh, from time, <laughs> but yes, uh, no, totally. There's a better way. Um, and well, now we're all connected. That's great. It's funny how we uh, all sort of had our own. Uh, we've all had our own paths coming to this. Lily, too young to vote in 2016. Uh, myself, uh, a formerly disenfranchised voter and, and someone who was fascinated in politics growing up and then gave up. Uh, and, and Emily, who, you know, had her own path to be to activism through Bernie and Run, who became involved through Obama, which is a nice little spectrum of folks we have here. Um, on that note, uh, Lily, did you have uh, one more question? For, yeah, um, this one's more of a, a little fun question. I brought this up with you guys last time, and Emily saw this when we were in Iowa. Um, this this goofy little group that supports Biden, Gen X punks for Biden, tried oh, nice. to host an event um, called Biden's Punk as Fuck. And I want to know, do you think Biden is punk rock? Uh, I no think, one showed okay. up to this event, by the way. Zero I people. think that Biden is kind of punk rock. Really? I Oof. do. Uh, I do. And but I have to. You have to understand. Like I do believe punk rock is a fairly big tent thing of oh, which yeah. there are things going on in which I do not approve. You know what okay. I mean? Like a big. We have a big enough tent <laughs> to have. You know. Crusty Did you and want to substantiate those claims? Okay. Is Biden a crust punk? So I can <laughs> imagine the corner of the tent where Biden is under the tent. I think I'm Biden sure can exist. Biden is coming across this time like he's like the new singer of the casualties. You're like you're the new singer of the casualties. Um, hey, I saw the casualties with with the new guy a few years ago. And it the was, new guy's probably not that young, right? The new guy's also old. 
Um, I mean, give I us a bad example. So, How about the UK sub? Let's say the UK subs. UK subs, okay. Yeah, he's coming across like he's singing for the UK subs. I do think that guy, I think his name's Charlie, and I think he actually had a heart attack, and he might be dead. Oh. But, <laughs> oh, God. but those guys are still punk as fuck, right? They have no business doing what they're doing. They need to retire now. They are not the kings of the scene. They're not supposed to be in charge, but are they punk rock? Yeah, they're punk rock. Okay, sure. In, in a not me us, I'm still fighting for your healthcare kind of way. I can. They're see not going to close the show anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they're going to complain. Please God, that, no. They're going to complain that the band from Sweden headlined. You know, like they're going to be angry about all of those things. Yeah, uh, but I feel like they're they're the only reason they're still punk as fuck is because they have a past of being punk, and I'm I'm waiting for no, that to it's be a different aesthetic. Okay, like. You are a like. Where is the analogy to that for Biden? You're a younger person who's into punk. You probably don't have very much ideologically in line with the Sex Pistols. One of like the surprise. Well, are they though, or they're like very conservative? Their politics are very conservative. I are now. To, um, you no, know, they were then too. You but know, that's they because they never had a consistent political ideology in the first place. They were a manufactured kind of astroturfed attempt to take advantage of the punk vibe. They were made to clothing. sell people out of a safe, uh, you know, idea of what Great Britain was. And a lot they of that, were, they were, of, a lot of that was mocking the liberal institutions of Europe. Well, that was the idea of it, but the entire thing was like the clash you know, of a package that was thing. put together and meant to be sold to the public. Once a market had been identified, they weren't really like yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're drilling organic. down on what's sticky, right? And so what's sticky, yeah. you know, the cell units is this sort of weird concoction of rebellion, but with a kind of conservative value to it. While the clash are obviously actually actively promoting yes. progressive ideas mm-hmm. through their music right. i'm not even saying one is better than the other obviously i think both of us have an opinion on that but we don't have to like you know all right if we're gonna <laughs> right. no i mean don't get me wrong like i don't really have like a, i don't have a dog in this fight because punk, i actually you know like I mean? the music and i listen to it run, but, but i can punk, still acknowledge punk. that they weren't really punk when you have a bass player who can't play oh, any bass and it's basically just been sourced because he's a good face for the band he didn't you even know. play the instrument. He's just up there making it happen. He's like Napoleon, you know? Like, yeah, but he was like literally spotted to play a role. They were like, oh, this kid will help us sell this image that we're trying to, to put but out here. But then didn't give a crap. But I who was know. actually behind the wheel? A bunch of adults who were trying to make money. That's not very really funny. I feel like you can tell a kinder story, which is that this thing was created and sort of escaped its control and created an entire kind of aesthetic revolution, you know? There's probably a case to be made for that, sure. I, I, I will say this, okay, like, that, this is where my personal history comes in. Um, my parents met on the streets of L.A. They were punks. They wound up falling in with a man who was a fashion designer from London, Jim O'Connor. And he started a store on Melrose uh, in the 80s called Poser. And his whole point was the punk scene gets criticized or or participants in the punk scene get criticized who aren't seen as authentic they're not about the, the idea or the politics they're just there because they like showing up and being part of scene and wearing certain clothes etc they're in for the aesthetic and his yeah. argument was that's just as legitimate <laughs> so that was uh, the yeah. sort of the ethos guess, of his I store guess, and uh i guess i come down with that yeah 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 so yeah i, I so i understand that i apparently i used to run around the store in a little walker when i was a toddler oh, so. well. <laughs> 
Yeah. That sounds adorable. All right. So it was a punk genre, like subgenre, what would they be? Because I feel like Bloomberg is going to be on like the bad skinheads, like, you know, the skinheads that we don't like. <laughs> oh, right or is he like the some ones that sharp kick the ass blah, of blah, blah, blah. like how Cal- like southern california like processed punk band oh like bloomberg's trying to be punk oh, right fashion he's the he's like the bloomberg's fashion. like pennywise or something right? oh my you god know. <laughs> <laughs> i can see that when i was maybe, no, maybe y'all are right maybe it's like totally like just crypto horrible no, I think Pete's trying to be the fashion punk. He's oh, trying to yeah. that tracks. No one wants him yeah. there. He's like that one kid that's at the concert. <laughs> He's like the one kid who's insisting Blink One Eighty Two is kind of a punk band. If you listen to the early stuff, he's the kid something. that hangs out at Hot Topic yeah. and bought the knockoff docks that are made in China and they aren't broken <laughs> properly. And- uh, can we just actually say, even while we're going through this exercise, that like. Every politician says that they're cooler than they are, and you look up their stuff, and that you know, like Beto, he's like, "Ah, hey, I was a punk." You're like, "Yeah, you kind of were." Like all this stuff. Uh, yeah. Andrew Yang, legitimately goth. When mm-hmm. you like look up mm-hmm. his stuff, you're like, "Oh, you were." Yeah, I've seen the photos. Yeah, human being. You remind yep. me yeah. of goth human beings who are our age. He's my age, I think. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like he's definitely. Yeah, he, he and Pete were definitely around. living different lives uh, with, at, around the turn of the century. Life one of the bands that your mom is okay with you listening to she doesn't want you to play all the crazy stuff in the car totally yeah Yeah. i was actually talking about this the other day and like you know i am solidly gen x and so our parents are baby boomers uh and like it was hard to offend them with punk music because they all thought they'd seen it all in the 60s were so great you know like whatever and the Mm -hmm. one that would always cut through was the dead kangaroo it's just the name would set them off they'd be Mm -hmm. like oh yeah Oh and yeah. Be like, oh, yeah. And they'd be like, no, this is not funny. And I actually feel like the <laughs> cultural shift in the country, especially post September 11th, kind of, you know, have like diminished irony to the point where like, once again, it's sort of like that name is like super edgy. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We've kind of looped back around. The logo back is so, like the logo is like, so basic. Shock me, and, shock me. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> geometrical but, like and... but you're like, Ooh, that's kind of yikes. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Definitely a killer yeah. brand. When I first started world. going to shows when I was 11, 12, and my mom would take me and she would sit in the back and watch me like get into mosh pits and everything. I would never play any music in the car with her, but she I think she kind of got used to it, like going to these shows and like the shock value totally. of like names like the Dead Kennedys or yeah, like, yeah. One, like in Tulsa's called Gutter Villain like these like shock value names kind of just diminished mm-hmm. over time until like she was like okay my daughter's not gonna grow out of this it also changed <laughs> though yeah like you know I remember before September 11th there were like bands that had crazy names you know that you just wouldn't do anymore like there was the McVeigh's and they were actually pretty good and there was Corky Extra Chromosome and they were actually okay and there was just yeah. like ran the gamut from being very violent to being very offensive yeah uh, mm-hmm. And both kind of, and so I would say that in that way, September 11th was terrible for punk, um, but it was on the flip side really good for horror movies, which then stopped being ironic. Because then <laughs> it started actually being yeah. scary again, which is fun. You're like, oh yeah, I wanted a scary movie. I didn't want a movie about scary movies and about why they're dumb. Yeah, I'm sure someone out there somewhere has done a documentary on how like what the different you know the popular horror genres say about our cultural fears. You know. 
Like it, it definitely comes from like trauma, that. right? And it takes a yeah. while. So, so uh-huh. like, you know, I think, I don't remember when the first Godzilla comes out, but it's like Japan needs at least 15 years to kind of process their trauma before coming up with right. Godzilla. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, obviously, look, this is an American perspective. I think the Vietnamese think of it as being a bigger tragedy for different reasons. But it took America about 15, 16, 20 years to actually come up with like the Deer Hunter and other movies that took sort of Vietnam more seriously and not yeah. just like a weird kind of cartoon backdrop. So I think these right. things do take a while for like countries to get right. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. Lily, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, um, we're gonna, yeah, nice to meet you. We're gonna cut you, cut you loose, release you back into the wild. Uh, thanks so much, as always, for being on the show. Um, and we will bring you on again very soon to discuss uh, some new plethora of interesting, fun topics. Thank yep. you so much. Not the way the word plethora is used. I'm just. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything. I I'm terrible at this. He did. You know what? If you use a word like plethora, you better land it. Doesn't it mean a a wide array, a wide arrangement of things, a a variety of things things? wrong with what you are saying right now? See, no. So did you use it correctly? I did. See, I felt we used it the same way. So therein is the misunderstanding. I, I am, I don't have the understanding of language. Certainly not the master of language. And we'll call it even. Because Aran and Emily, you two are both so well spoken. And I mean, Lily, you two don't. Please don't take that the wrong way but uh yeah i would love to have you two teach me about language for you know what's funny run is actually doug has has corrected a few bad uh grammatical habits of mine so doug please. is an organized thinker he is a good he writer. absolutely is so yeah. please call me out because y'all make me a better uh a, a somewhat better still very what's bad podcast hoster is is like the thing that i think you get better at doing the job at least that i do is you get better at coming up with better ways to say nothing or people like, you know, people just feel <laughs> satisfying, but it didn't take you anywhere because it's a safe thing to do. And sure. it's pretty sad, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, no, that's that, yep, yep. noted. Absolutely. How many ways can Pete talk about polarization in the debate without actually talking about polarization? Yeah, yeah. Like Pete's really good at this, right? But at least, yeah, he's it. great. He's good at it. I, I, I'm, I need to learn. like seven times in like just the last half of the debate. Like... <laughs> We live in a well, society. Well, we've all had that thing of where we learn a new word and we can't stop inserting it into conversations. And, you know, well, we now, do, see, that's not the thing. That My fear is I've been using plethora incorrectly, not wrong, plethora. for yeah, several years. This is what years. you'll be thinking about at 2 a.m. when you can't sleep. <laughs> yeah, I remember absolutely. several years ago, a, f- a good friend of uh, myself and some of my other friends, we, a fight broke out over the correct usage of the word abscond. Wow. And then none of us could yeah, stop using it. Like with that. the treasure. See, you're using it the way I always use it. I I assumed it could only be used in the context where it's immediately followed by with, as in it's it's basically synonym for stole. But no, apparently you can just abscond. Yes. Period. You, abscond. you don't actually have to abscond with something. Oh, what happens? I was very to you? disappointed by this. When you just abscond, what do you do? You, you leave. Vamoose, escape. I don't know. Yeah, you, but but, but it's not uh, the 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 accompanying. Uh, item with which you have absconded is not in fact essential unlike this example steven with your example we have a cultural touch point for you to watch uh after we're done recording this podcast which is you will go watch three amigos and they actually have a scene where they discuss plethora the exact definition how to use it and then someone uses it incorrectly and is called out 
So, oh no! Oh great! Is yeah, this yeah, a Steve Martin a whole film? Scene. Right? I bet you it's on YouTube. Just plethora and uh, Three Amigos. Three Amigos. Is that Steve Martin, or am I remembering? That is Steve Martin, Martin Short, and uh, Chevy Chase. Those are all. There is a trio, my it's man. It's quite a film, actually. Wow, wow. I yeah. love it. It's quite a film, and I'd recommend it highly to both of you. You know, my my uncle watched it once when I was a kid, and I didn't. I was like, oh, that sounds like something I'm not really interested in. I was very young, man. I'll have to yeah, check it out. Good. That sounds cool. I'll definitely watch the plethora scene because I've Googled it since, and now it's saying, and I am getting a much different sense. Google is, of course, saying it's like an excessive. It's too much. It's not just a variety. It's like too much of something. So I have a lot of deep, deep thinking to do. Um, but... Again, Lily, we've lost her, I think. I don't know if technology is lost, is she's brought gone. her off the call or if she just hung up. But either way, uh, it was great to have her. Um, we're we going to wrap up. Her. We were, we're going to wrap up the call here. I just wanted to know if before we closed, uh, either of you or both of you had any, you know, thoughts or reflections you wanted to put forth about where we are with the Bernie 2020 movement, we've all obviously been invested in different ways. And uh, if I had to make such a statement, I would just say that I'm really, really excited about where we stand. Uh, having won the first three big popular votes, that's an unprecedented feat uh, on itself. Um, and just the, the momentum we seem to be carrying, being on the ground in primary states knocking doors uh, has been tremendous and inspiring and i'm excited to do it again in a few days uh, with another internet friend of ours megan who will be joining me to go to massachusetts meeting up with my buddy steve from high school and we're going to go knock a bunch of doors either way i just feel like we're in a good position um but i think the front runner syndrome you know could set in at any time i think criticisms are being lobbed at us disproportionately more now and they're getting a little bit more creative and more mainstream they're all gearing up. up yeah yeah so what so what's up what do you guys think is as sort well, of a quick uh, right. you know little sign off discussion where are we we're, at we're running we're gonna start running into headwinds it's gonna make everything harder every yep. new percentage point bernie picks up is going to be harder and harder to get especially yes. for the campaign and there's things campaigns can do and there's things campaigns aren't good at and we spend a lot of time, especially folks who aren't on the campaign, ruminating what the campaign is doing, uh, you know, on sure. what the campaign is doing right and what they're doing wrong. And instead, we should be ruminating on what we are doing right and what we are doing wrong. Yes. Because yep. there are things that the campaign is effective at doing at mobilizing mass numbers of people, putting them in front of cameras so that we can film them at events that Emily's helping mm -hmm. put on and helping getting people yep. there. And that's amazing. But you... Yep. The listener, the non-campaign person, are uniquely equipped to talk to normal people, especially people yeah. who, again, we talked about this before, don't feel like they're part of the team, don't really want the team aesthetic, aren't looking to get involved in the sport. But right. You can convince five, six of them, each of us can convince five or six people who are on the fence about voting to begin with to vote. That's going to make up a margin of difference. That's going to make the selection. Look. We're the anti-establishment candidate. Every decision, every tie is going to go against us. Yeah. So, to, you, yes. so you want it, So you want to build up a layer of fat against the cold. You and that to. layer of fat is me. It's you. It's everyone who knows anyone who is not on this campaign. So let's yeah. all campaign. Yeah, it's that buffer that is so essential because – you know, as we saw, you know, we were polling very strong in Iowa, very, polling very strong in New Hampshire. The actual results were much closer. And that's something we have to be figured with. Like, like you're saying, yeah, we, we have an uphill battle ahead of us. It's our race to lose, essentially, which means we have to be, you know, allowing for um, a, a buffer in order to ensure that we continue to come out on top. Um, and in fact, go into the convention with that coveted majority of delegates. And like, just what, what you were saying right there about, you know, just 
if, if the average person manages to sway five or six people, the equivalent of that kind of efficacy and reach in terms of man hours and money and energy spent uh, by the campaign Can you imagine? to get the same result is astronomical. And it's yeah. so, you know, and especially, you know, when you're reaching out to people in your own community, you know, these people, you know what their lives look like, more or less, you're in the same boat with them, they know you, um, there's some trust there, they are more likely to listen to you than they are likely to listen to a polished, even the best pitch, the most tested, you know, pitch that we can come up with. Totally. Um, is not going to be as effective as a real person. Your clumsy who, you know, pitch. You, you saw better. their family grow up. Yeah. yeah. You saw their family grow up. You know, they're in this, you know, they have the same struggles. They live in the same economy as you. If they're convinced and they're passionate, that says something. Um, and it's something that, you know, we can pour so much energy and money into on our end and maybe not, you know, have the same amount of just sheer clout with ordinary people on the ground. So that is absolutely invaluable um, yeah. for one, ordinary one the, people. One of the cool, uh, one of the coolest points about the results from Nevada that I saw was that a lot of the, um, apparently a lot of the Hispanic vote was largely influenced by the fact that younger folks in Hispanic families where English is not the native language yep. necessarily yes. serve as translators. Yes. They serve as cultural translators and they sort of serve as, you know, interpreters of everything, the news, the culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a huge bump when you have young people sort of describing to their families yeah. these these issues, especially folks who Bernie have just kind of seems to want you to have insulin. And they're like, okay, I kind of like Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that seems Well, neat. not yeah, only that, exactly, but I think, you know, we, exactly. and we saw the media kind of try to spin that, you know, they picked up on that, that that was kind of how we were able to reach so much of the Latino vote. And I, I, they tried to kind of put a little bit of spin on it and say, well, maybe it's that, you know, these, these older generations are relying on their grandsons or, or children to, um, you know, translate for them, almost yeah. kind of implying that, you know, we were able to pull one over on the older generation. Right, that it's not inspiration, it's a reliance. That. But, but right. I see something very different when I look at that. When I, when I think about, um, you know, the, the culture um, in Latino communities, it's very tightly knit. Family is paramount. And for those families you know, to look at their, um, the, the, the younger members of their family and to see like that, that's, you know, the brightest hopes for their futures. Um, yeah. they're, they're looking at the, their children and their grandchildren and they're seeing the result of everything that they've sacrificed for. And so it means a lot yeah. when those kids or those young adults are telling them, this is what matters to me. This is my future, you know? And so it's, it's those really tightly knit bonds, um, in communities like that, that I, that I feel is much more, um, you know, that, that, that's what we're seeing in play when you see the older generations kind of listen uh, to uh, what they're what they're telling them and, and uh, become more favorable to Bernie. Um, yeah, definitely not so much some you know, nonsense about just not knowing what's going on and relying on them for information. But it's, it's a really beautiful universal. thing to see this like intergeneration. It's what Bernie keeps saying. You know, we're building a multiracial, multigenerational movement. And that's yeah. so important. And as we see him begin Absolutely. to cut into not just the younger bracket, which he had very, you know, definitely in 2016, but beginning to push that ceiling upward in terms of age um, to the point now where I think I want to say uh, the the cutoff line was like everything under 60 or 65. 65. I saw a recent yeah. poll. Yeah, that's that's yeah, the a only lot younger than we young had last people. time around. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, it is. It's 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 neat. I think it's it's very inspiring what the movement is doing right now. And uh, look, you heard Dick Van Dyke. Like Bernie might be a young man, but uh, <laughs> yeah, still give him a chance. I love that guy. He's yeah. He's, he's, I am so excited that this campaign got to reintroduce young people uh, to Dick Van Dyke over because he's like the best and the coolest. I love Absolutely. Dick Van Dyke. No, no, I know. And everybody's like, oh, wait a minute. He's the Mary Poppins. And everyone just gets so excited about it. Oh, no, Dick Van Dyke's awesome. Politics, you know? Yeah. He's Maybe best. I'm just weird, but we watched, we had the whole DVD set of the Dick Van Dyke show. We loved Dick Van Dyke. No, no, you are clearly a fan. It's just. Never mind. I was cool. weird. I was homeschooled. <laughs> there you oh, go. That is, and that is a whole different topic for a whole different episode. Oh, that's, that's, that's like at least three, four like a cliffhanger episodes. ending. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Next week. It oh, is. my gosh. Thank <laughs> you so much, uh, both of y'all, for being here and staying up late uh, to do this podcast. No, it's, it's, been, it's been absolutely great to just chat. I wish we got a chance to do this more often, the three of us. Um, y'all are great. And Lily, thank you so much, Lily Violet co-admin of the Bernie Sanders Dank Meme Stash, hardworking college student, hardworking activist and organizer for Bernie. Um, she's wonderful. And we thank her so much for being on. Um, Arun, thank you for being our guest. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, Emily, thank you for- It was wonderful getting to talk to you. Yeah, yes, yes, it was indeed. Uh, I think, you know, and, and thanks so much for uh, Emily for, as always, co-hosting with me here and- I, I really don't want to find the day where we, we, we don't do an episode together. I'm going to try to track you down no matter where you are on the road with the campaign and try to get you to join uh, in on these calls. But in the next episode, I will we, make we, every we, attempt. I can't, <laughs> I can't make any promises. It's, it's pretty crazy, but I'm now and then. Just use basic tactics of persistence, repetition, and, and simple old fashioned peer pressure to try to lure you into uh, continuing to come on and talk because next time we do have a, uh, a pair of guests who are going to be uh, great. These are some, uh, I'm going to keep it a surprise, but some very, very uh, cool, brilliant, talented, capable folks who have incredibly bright futures ahead of them are going to be our guests on, on either the next episode or the following. Um, but thanks again, uh, everybody who's tuned in. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe at Burn After Listening, B-E-R-N, on Apple and Spotify. And anywhere else you want to have your podcast delivered, shoot us an email, burnafterlistening at gmail.com. Arun, Emily, thanks so much. Uh, we're going to take y'all out with another clip from uh, Run's band, iFarm. Totally rad. Check them out. You can you can get snippets of their stuff all over the internet. Maybe not legally. Sorry, Run, but go check them out. <laughs> thanks, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Is the restless ruler of Ithaca. Mm-hmm.